Hello and welcome to another very special Empire podcast starring Neil Marshall, the director of Dog Soldiers, Descent, Centurion, and now the ninth episode of the second season of Game of Thrones, also known as Blackwater. This is a special spoiler-filled podcast for people who've watched the programme. If you haven't watched Game of Thrones, and especially if you haven't watched this episode, you may want to wait until you have. But if your ears are still ringing to the sound of people screaming, shouting, and blood pouring out of other people's bodies, then carry on listening. You've got a great half an hour or so of Neil Marshall explaining just how he got involved, how you make fire burn green, and a bunch of other interesting stuff. So, enjoy! We're here to talk about the exciting episode of Game of Thrones, uh, Blackwater, which aired this week. Uh, the climactic uh, battle sequence where it looks like we blew the entire season's budget. Is that right? Uh, pretty much. I, I don't get. You know, I wasn't entirely privy to how much we were spending, but I just kept on pushing it until somebody said stop. You know, I want this. I want that. I want. That. And at some point, someone said, uh, "You can't quite have that." And. <laughs> It was, it was obviously the battle happened at night. I can't remember from the books whether it's a nighttime assault. Then was this a, a we can occlude a lot of stuff with darkness decision, or was it just to make the, the fire look more impressive? I haven't read the books either, so um, as far as I know, it was a decision made to help you know uh, make it, well certainly flaming arrows and fire and wildfire is going to mm. look a lot better at night anyway. So I think that was a decision made, but it was it was also kind of a budgetary consideration as well. It's easier to hide people in the dark. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the money shot, isn't it? The huge explosion of green wildfire on the Blackwater. Yes. Uh, was that the you know the difficult thing to get right? Uh, it was very difficult because we we couldn't decide whether to try and do it. As a practice, you know, the explosion itself was always going to be a visual effect of some yeah. point. But the the wildfire, we had lots of experiments going on to see if we could do it practically, if we could find something that burned green. Because one of the things that we did for the for that sequence was um, the special effects department uh, invented this. Uh, it was a catapult that fired bags full of like. Um, petroleum jelly like napalm basically <laughs> and um, these, little, napalm. these little sacks things and, and they, they, they it was uh, carefully gauged to go a certain distance all the time and uh, and so we would literally catapult these burning balls of of napalm at the stuntmen uh, but we were trying to find a, a specific concoction that burned green and we couldn't quite get it right so we always I always said look let's just do it with real fire and Take turn it green in post. It's going to be so much easier <laughs> <laughs> than finding green napalm. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted bigger explosions, but we were filming <laughs> in Northern Ireland, and um, it's still pretty tricky to bring in explosives <laughs> yeah. to Northern Ireland, even even for you know for movie purposes. So I didn't quite get the explosions that I wanted on set. <laughs> well, we've uh, I think believe we've canvassed the whole of Twitter, haven't we, for for reader questions about the episode? Uh, this one is from Aussie Zero. Uh, I'd love to know how much of the gory stuff from that episode, chopping folks in half, etc., was uh, in the script, and how much of it was Neil. Um, none of it was in the script, so it was it was all me. I mean, there was always you know, Hound was always going to go out and start chopping people up, but it was never specified quite what he'd do, and I was just trying to come up with new ways for him to do that um, of slicing somebody diagonally in half and then <laughs> slicing somebody across the belly and kicking them so that they fell over split backwards and, and there's a memorable out. shot of a head being sliced into kind of like a boiled egg yes well there was one there was one particular one where I, I said I wanted this guy to get his head chopped off just, just above the eyes so that after it happens we still see his eyes moving and flickering and it's definitely a real guy it's not <laughs> some rubber head um, and they managed to pull that one off brilliantly it was a, it was a combination of um, you know, makeup effects and a little bit of CG green screen, like a green cap on. So where does where does horror begin and action end then? How do you how do you reel it in? You know, is in terms of there's a certain kind of gore that you expect in a horror film. 
Yeah, I don't know. I've always put action in my horror films of mm -hmm. to a certain degree. So for me, there is no. You know, it's a big blurry mess of <laughs> blood and chaos. They're one and the same. <laughs> They're one and the same, yeah. But I, you know, I like to paint my action in blood. <laughs> There's a question from at the Phoenix. Uh, what was the budget for the episode? It looked really expensive. Uh, to be honest, I don't know. I, I think I gather that the budget for the entire series is something around seventy million dollars. But that's you know, I'm, I'm plucking this out of thin air. I don't. I heard that somewhere, hmm. maybe online. So could it be uh, a myth. But that sounds about right to me. Um, and I think that obviously a large proportion of that was spent on this particular episode. Was a large proportion of it spent in getting Jerome Flynn to sing? <laughs> oh, I, I still wanted to get Robson in the back of the scene. Just, <laughs> this is a little little cameo there. Would have been, we, had, we could have had another number one out of that. <laughs> I love that he's in it. It took me. I, I didn't even spot that it was Jerome Flynn until about a few episodes into this series. So I went through the whole first series not realising that it was Jerome Flynn. And it took me a while when I watched the first series and then like clocked on. Yeah. And then when I met him on set and I was just yeah. like... He has such an astonishing face. I mean, it really yeah. looks like somebody's taken a pan to his nose and pummeled it into oblivion. Yeah. But it works perfectly for this. You've got, yeah. you know, you've got to forget everything that he once was and take take Bron as he comes, and he's he's a fantastic yeah. character. There's that amazing ad additional scene, isn't there? The one between Bron and Clegane, which which wasn't in the book. Obviously, yes. I know you haven't read the book, but I'll tell you, it wasn't in the book. And uh, that was you know such a such a great sort of showdown between those two characters, which you kind of amazed that Martin himself didn't write it originally yeah um, so that must have been quite a quite a fun moment for you uh, well that was a great loss. I mean it was like a good barroom scene anyway so yeah. um, you know I, I think I would have had it ending in a big brawl if I could but the, you know the bell starts ringing and you know here come the bad guys but um, yeah it was it was a great standoff between you know two two really strong characters and then it has a great payoff you know further down the line so. oh yeah and just pulling my geek cap quite firmly over my head, uh, the song he's singing is The Reigns of Castamere, uh, which becomes quite uh, a lot more important in the next book. Is, And that's what plays over the end credits, which is quite a surprising end of the show compared to what we have normally. Who's singing that at the end there? Do you know? I, I believe it's the National. It's the national. Yeah. Oh, is it? I, could, I, could, I thought it wasn't Robson, but... <laughs> is that some kind of popular beat combo? <laughs> yes, it could be, Dan. Ah, good, good. Indie I will buy some of their LPs. Good, good stuff. I have a question about the nudity. Uh, we didn't bring this up with George when he was here, but obviously it's kind of become a, a thing in pop culture, the, the amount of nudity and sex position scenes in yes. Game of Thrones. Uh, you have a sex position scene in this. Can you talk about <laughs> that? What's your position on sex position? <laughs> uh, it was it was pretty surreal. I'd not, I'd not done anything like that in, in my films before, but the, the weirdest part was when you have one of the exact producers leaning over your shoulder going, you can, you can, you can go full frontal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is television you can do whatever you want um, and do it I urge you to do it so I was like okay whatever you you're the boss so they're not worried they're not worried about they're not trying to pull back on it they're, not in the slightest they're, they're no, no this particular exec like, took me one side and said look I represent the pervert side of the audience okay <laughs> everybody else is the serious drama side I represent the perv side of the audience and I'm saying I want full frontal nudity in this scene so you go ahead and do it okay <laughs> it, it, another Twitter question, this is from Mabs Ali. Is Peter Dinklage really as awesome as Tyrion Lannister in real life? Uh, he is. He's totally awesome. Um, he, I, I, he's, you know, he's a phenomenally good actor, but he's just such a lovely, lovely guy. And it was kind of, I don't know, um, in, in the scene itself when he's doing his big speech and such like, um, it was pouring with rain. And that was all real. It was raining non-stop for the full 12 hours that we were filming there for that night and the next night and the next night 
and the next night. Um, but you know, he's there standing in the pouring rain all night, not not a complaint, not a, you know, not a problem. Freezing, everybody was absolutely freezing. Um, you know, and then you know, what what more do you want from an actor than that they just give it their two hundred percent and deliver such a great performance? Now he's he's a legend. Hmm. I mean, that's that's got to be the role of a lifetime for him, hasn't it? That's that's it. He's 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 he's, he's achieved the the best possible role he could ever have. It is going to be a tough act to follow. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see him playing something like Fagin in Oliver Twist or something like that. Mm. I'm sure you could do something like that. That'd be quite cool. But it, it is it is Bond a really villain. really. <laughs> It He'd is, be a great yeah. Bond villain. He could be a good. I mean, how, just jumping in, how did you come to be directing an episode of Game of Thrones? I mean, if you've not read the books, obviously it wasn't a, a, a fanboy aspiration. Um, it was. It was a complete mad rush kind of thing. I'd, I'd seen. I'd seen, seen the trailers for the first season when it came out, and uh, I'd immediately gone onto my agent and said, "Look, that sounds that looks like my cup of tea. Please push hard and try and get me a directing gig on that, gig on that series." And because uh, it's HBO and they're very much a kind of closed shop they have their you know their core group of directors mm. that they use again and again and again and they're brilliant directors um, and uh, so I didn't get anywhere with that at all but then what happened was that after my, I made Centurion um, the horsemaster uh, Camilla Napru of the Devil's Horseman who did Centurion and uh, Paul Herbert who did was our stunt supervisor on Centurion both went to work on Game of Thrones uh, and so time goes on and then suddenly last October when was it, it was, uh, August, September sometime in September anyway um, I get a phone call on a Saturday morning from the producer of Game of Thrones saying will you come and direct an episode and I'm like oh yeah <laughs> absolutely when do you want me like next month or something no no Monday morning 9 o'clock <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out that the original director for that episode uh, for personal reasons has had to bow out like on the Friday and immediately like um, Camilla and Paul have stepped in and said look here's Neil's number give him a call um, and they did and thankfully you know I was over there took the five o'clock flight over I watched the entire first series on the Sunday back to back which is brilliant and then got stuck straight in we had two weeks prep uh, before shooting and I was able to take my uh, director of photography mm. Sam McCurdy came across with me as well and that just yeah, made it made it perfect yeah a question from Ewan Coombs. Uh, which moment of the battle scene was, was your personal favourite? His was the suspenseful minute before the boat unleashed fire. Um, well, the stuff with the, the boat, a lot of the stuff on the boat was done, you know, in front of green screen and stuff like that. So it was it was good fun, but it was not as, not nearly as exciting to film as basically you know two hundred guys storming the castle with the battering ram and arrows and swords and all you know, and just letting these guys just hack into each other with these big rubber axes and things like that that was that was a thrill doing the doing the beach landing was pretty good as well because um, we had a load of boats loaded with these guys and and they just went for it the extras were were brilliant I mean it's such a huge set piece did you sit down and watch stuff I guess you didn't have time but things like Helm's Deep and Lord of the Rings that you know did you kind of study things like that before you, you went into it yeah I was watching all sorts of films I kind of avoided Helm's Deep because it was such an obvious comparison and um, I was watch I was trying to watch I was watching films like the Vikings and I was counting numbers of, of heads and thinking that well uh, and the, the, the big attack when the Vikings attacked the castle at the end you never see more than maybe 20 or 30 guys but it feels like there's a big army so I was like, well, I know I have like a hundred extras to play with on this. So as long as we get them all in the frame, then it'll <laughs> feel like there's, there's thousands. And I know that visual effects are going to add more and more in on top of that. But we tried to do as much as possible in camera. But yeah, it was. It was I watched. Um, yeah, I watched a bit of Kingdom of Heaven. Anything that had castles being, you know, under Breached. siege in really. 
Was it weird for you though, Neil? I mean, you <clears throat> you were saying you reminded us before before we started recording that you know you write or you've written all your own films, and mm-hmm. so you come from that position, that auteur position, if you like, and you come into this, and not only have you not written this uh, or you know generated it yourself in any way, but yeah. also it's it's a segment of a larger story. You're not even really telling the whole story. So is it is that odd as a as a, as a as a director? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what I, I went in and I, I said, look, I don't want to read all the scripts leading up to this, but if you can fill me in on, on what I need to know for this episode, mainly because I want to enjoy the second series when I watch it. I don't want to know <laughs> everything in advance. Bullet points. Yeah. yeah. But I got all the information I needed for this particular episode, so I knew that that part. But, um, yeah, when I, when I run into trouble on set with, you know, if a line of dialogue doesn't work or a scene isn't working right, me and the actors can just normally just hammer it out, change the script, change, you know, cut a line of dialogue if it's not working, whatever. Can't do that with this. Mm. Um, in TV, the script is God, and, um, you know, the director comes second. So um, anything like that, we had the, the writers with us all the time. One, one or the other was always there. So if there was any problems, I had to go straight to them and say, look, can, this isn't quite working, or could we change it, and can you come up with an alternative? And, you know, it's, it, it slowed the process down a, a little bit, mm. but not too much. And then they'd quickly type out something and give it back, and away we went. But it was it was unusual just for me not to be able to just tear the script up and you know improvise. Right. I mean, George R. R. Martin is credited as as the screenwriter. So did you talk to him or meet up with him? Or I've exchanged a lot of emails with George, and we, we've been chatting quite a lot about it. But uh, mm. I haven't had a chance to meet him yet. He was okay. in when I was in Ireland filming. He was in the States, and then I think he came to London, and I was somewhere else. And so uh, we're going to have a pint at some point. <laughs> he's a fan of yours, isn't he? So, yeah, it, it turns out. Yeah, he's a big fan of Centurion and right. Descent. So <laughs> I think that worked in my favour. Yeah. Well, there's a question from Orange Warrior. We've had a lot of questions like this. Uh, can you please direct all future episodes of Game of Thrones? I mean, there's obviously a lot of Gladly. battle sequences coming up in, in the future. Oh, uh, I'd love to go back and do some more on it somehow. There's got some more carnage needs doing. <laughs> and the, the reaction to this has been really good, hasn't it? There's been a lot of positive... It's been, it's been overwhelming. I mean, yeah, I've never seen anything like it for a TV episode hmm. before. I've got a good line here from The Guardian. A heart-stopping hour of near-perfect television. Not bad, eh? How about that? Yeah, That's not I'm, bad, is I'm, it? I'm buzzing from all that stuff, <laughs> yeah. I tell you. Are there any other uh, TV shows that you'd like to direct an episode of? It's a dream thing? Um, I would have loved to have directed an episode of Deadwood. That would have been good. <laughs> oh, awesome. Any, uh, any Western? I, I think I, you know, I really love period stuff, so any more Game of Thrones, anything like that, Western stuff. Um, yeah, I'd love to do that kind of stuff. I'd like to come up with my own TV series, that would be a thing. Mm. Got anything in mind? I have got something in mind. Have you? Mm. Okay. <laughs> BBC or HBO? Oh, HBO. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some more uh, general uh, Twitter questions. Uh, one of them is about the last voyage of the Demeter. Yes. If I'm saying that right. Uh, can you can you tell us anything about that? Um, well, that's something that's just come along very, very recently. That um, I don't know. I, I saw, I heard about the project years ago and thought, wow, I'd love to do that project. And But it was, it was gone. I think David Slade was attached to it. And then suddenly it landed on my desk like a month ago, and I just um, I went after it big time, pitched for it, and came up with all this artwork and ideas for it. And they said, "Yeah, we'd love you to do it." So for, for now, it's just a question of when. I just want to get on with it. So I'm right in thinking that's a kind of a Dracula interquell, is it? 
if, if that's Interquel. the right word. Interquel. <laughs> Interquel. It's an episode that happens in the book Dracula that is never described in the book. Dan Dracula. is the only person in the world yeah, who uses this phrase. <laughs> it's not a parallelquel. Yeah. No, it's, not, it's, it's not a parallelquel or a midquel. I think it's an interquel, which is a sequel, not a sequel, but uh, another instalment yeah, which takes place during it's, yeah, it's a previous instalment. New, new concept. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's based on a very short chapter in the book about the captain's log that's read out of the the, the Demeter's captain captain's log, and mm. uh, um, it's this whole story about what happened on the ship, mm. and it's kind of like for me anyway. My my whole pitch for it was that it's it's kind of like Alien, but with Dracula. Yes, and it's an old galleon, an old rotting wooden galleon instead of a spaceship, but you know the principle is kind of the same. So, um, you know, and it's not just a, you know it's not Dracula. I'm not going to do a guy in a cape. Mm -hmm. It's going to be something different. We've got to try and come up with something new. Okay, so you're not getting Gary Oldman back. <laughs> Wasn't planning on it. <laughs> not to get him as the captain of the ship, maybe. Uh, That'd be good. But that would, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's never referred to as Dracula in the in the actual script. So interesting. And there are three questions. Uh, they're all kind of asking the same thing, but about a different film. Uh, they're all asking for a sequel. <laughs> one for Century, and one for Doomsday, and one for Dog Soldiers. Any. Any chance of any of that? I've never, I've never had anybody ask for a sequel for Centurion yet. Um, Doomsday, I get asked quite a lot, but I, somehow I just don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> uh, Dog Soldiers, I would love to do a sequel to, but the rights are tied up and I don't own them anymore. And those who do don't seem to be able to get it together. So um, that, I don't think that's going to happen, sadly. And I had some pretty good ideas for that as well. Hmm. Um, yeah, Centurion, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, I can't see it's going to happen, but. It would be nice. Could be a TV series. Well, yeah, I did think about that as a TV series. Life on Life on Hadrian's Wall. Mm. Be all kind of grim and rainy. It's kind of like Game of Thrones, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Lots of battles with Picts. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Game of Thrones reunited you with Liam Cunningham uh, from Dog Soldiers and Centurion. The legend. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, what, that's what I'd really like to do one of these days. I, I want to write a film just for Liam to star in, to, yeah. just, just a headliner, because he's he's so fantastic an actor and such a lovely guy. Um, you know, and he's getting all these great roles in Game of Thrones and such like, hmm. and Centurion. Um, so yeah, I'd like I'd like to give him a starring role sometime. I think yeah. he's his time is due. Yeah, I have a Game of Thrones question. Do you have a favourite character now that you've done the whole box set binge? It's probably going to be Tyrion. That's the most popular answer. Yeah. What about Cersei? I mean, there's some good Cersei moments. Well, yeah, I mean, I think episode. I think she's a good character, and I think we had a lot of fun doing that. With with uh, you know, I said that she just get progressively drunk through that episode and mm. just become this like Larry drunken character, <laughs> like, you know, it's a person you wouldn't want to be with. Um, but yeah, no, she's good. I think you know Tywin's a great character. Yeah, dance plays him brilliantly. Yeah, and you didn't get a lot of Charles dance in this one, unfortunately. He just hello, I'm here, and then no, no, <laughs> he he came in for one shot, one line of dialogue. That was it. What What is the atmosphere like on the set of Game of Thrones? Because it's obviously, you know, TV, tight schedule, got to get shots done. Is it quite intense? Um, on, or people it, enjoying it themselves? Felt, it felt very, to me, it felt very much like doing one of my features. I mean, in a way, the budget was very similar to Centurion, and the schedule wasn't far off either. So... Um, it was it was very like that. It was at that kind of scale, but you know everybody's working pretty hard. The only reason that I could go in and do you know just two weeks of prep for it was because obviously all the costume sets, things like that, are already kind of pre-designed before mm. for me to go in, so I don't have to worry about that too much. Um, it was a question of storyboarding and doing previews and things like that. But I, you know, I don't know. They've got a great setup there. They've got they're based in Belfast, uh, in the old shipyards where the Titanic was built. Um, they've got some great locations around town. 
fantastic crew, great producers, and such like. So it was it was pretty smooth sailing. I think one of the the questions we got a lot from people was where was the chain? Was something that came up quite a lot. I mean, presumably the whole thing was not so much locked in, but laid out a lot when you came on board. How much sort of input did you get to change elements like that or to, to feed into it? Uh, the, the the aspect of the chain was already taken out before I got there, and I think they'd all agreed that that was just going to be way too you know budget-restrictive, and <coughs> you know, I don't think they even knew how they could do it, let alone whether they could afford it. So um, I think that went out early on, and they just decided to you know have a more linear kind of battle going on. But I was able to go in and say... You know, some of the things that the writers hadn't really considered was, you know, what are the defenders doing on the walls? And I said, well, obviously they're going to be shooting with arrows. I said, let's let's have them do something else as well. It's I want boulders. Let's have them throwing rocks over the side. So, and then it's like, well, what do the guys down below do about the rocks? And so I, so I said, well, the battering ram. We've got to have the battering ram there because they you know they're not primitives. They're going to have equipment, siege equipment, uh, but it's got to come off boats, so it can't be really huge stuff. So I invented this idea of a boat that comes in and kind of turns upside down like a tortoise shell and the battering ram kind of hangs underneath it and that covers them when they go up to the gate and start hammering it. And I invented this thing, they got one of their uh, concept artists to draw it up and then the, the you know special effects department went and built it for real <laughs> and, and we had it in the scene. It was fantastic. We had the whole battering ram thing going on. Whereas originally before it was just it was just gonna be a plank of wood and they were just gonna hit the door with it and I was like <laughs> That'd be a very ill prepared siege. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna look like amateurs. Yeah. <laughs> so you brought the gift of siege craft. Mm. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> That's the gift that keeps on giving. It is. <laughs> can, I, can I ask a question about uh, Jack Gleason, who plays Joffrey? Yes. He's so good. Is at he a being really a little shit? Yeah, he just he just looks like such a shit. <laughs> he really does. I just want to hit him. This is the cute little boy from Batman Begins. That is the cute little boy from Batman Begins. But he's grown up into such a shit. But please, <laughs> I need to know the truth. I think I think I mean he's such a great actor. He's so convincing in, 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 as that character of being yeah. a complete little shit. And he, you know, the look kind of goes with it, the haircut and yeah. the outfit, and you know, you really just yeah. want to slap him as soon as he comes on set. Yeah. But he is the most downworth, lovely lad. You know, yeah. he's like really kind of <laughs> this, 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 this Irish lad just like cracks on with you and and you know, really unaffected by it all. We know their actors. We, we know their actors. I mean, we know, but there's just something he, he just nails it. So it's the way he licks his lips as well. He licks his lips. Oh yeah, in a nasty way. He, he just clicks into that performance. Yeah, yeah. that it's sneer really is like I've never seen anything like it. No, no, he's perfect for that part, he is. isn't he? Absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah, Tyrion has a line about him having a pinched face, which is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel sorry for that guy because he's going to get, you know, shouted out in the street and have stuff thrown. Just like, surely. <laughs> He needs a role as a good guy. You need to cast him yeah. as a good he guy. Need, he needs mm. his own hound to go with him. Oh, he does. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the, the sequence, actually, that's really nice. The, the sort of um, the reaction you get from Sandor to the fire on the Blackwater. That's a really nice sequence when you see him sort of leave and he finally breaks when he sees all the burning people around him. Yeah, I just I always wanted to have a guy on fire running, <laughs> running, running in slow mo, waving an axe. And, uh, finally, got a chance to do it. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the the kind of the elements. Uh, I mean, the choreography for the fighting on the battlements. I mean, it's quite frenetic. There's lots of gore. I think as we've already touched on. Um, was that something that obviously you were able to bring, having done so much of that before? Did they just leave that right? We'll let Neil handle this, or was that? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was working with the stunt guys very closely, and we just, uh, you know, the whole thing of Stannis 
uh, fighting on the battlements what it was never in the script mm. and you know, never made it into the script i just said we have to have a sequence of stannis fighting we you know what's he going to do because in the script he kind of got to the bottom of the ladders gave it gave some orders and then disappeared and i was like well what happens to stannis so we need to take him somewhere so he's, he's got to be the first guy up the ladder he's got to get stuck in there and then then he sees everything you know fall apart and we'll give him a little we had this section of battlement that we could use so this is perfect it's just like get six guys onto him and hack away the only the only danger comes with like trying to get me and the cameraman in there amongst it and i'm like pushing <laughs> sam in closer into the, the flailing swords and things like that and you know so I was worried in case he loses an eye or something. It <laughs> wouldn't be good. But it really works having him in the vanguard because obviously it counterpoints quite clearly the fact that Joffrey isn't and that he's running inside, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, their characters are you know opposite ends of the, the stick, really. Mm. <laughs> and Stannis for all his faults, because Stannis is weird. He's not the most likable of of characters because he's so black and white. He's so rigid. He's a bit grim up north, isn't he? Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but he knows his grammar that's what he I does. like about yeah. him that's why I think he should be on the Iron Throne because he knows the difference between less and fewer and he's keen to point it out to everybody and he uses yeah. the phrase intercool any more questions any Twitter questions I, we've run through them all I think we're all through. most of them were can you please do another episode yes please do more mm. uh, okay including <laughs> <laughs> uh, one from head of HBO I'd love uh, to. Yeah. <laughs> gladly do another episode just uh, yeah send that to uh, HBO is this going to make you read the books now, or are you going to resist that? I don't know. It's a tricky one. Though, because reading the books after the fact is like you've already got the images in your head, and it kind of screws that up a bit. But I, I probably will do. Yeah. Also, the rate is going. It's about five years between these books. I'm a very slow reader in the big books. <laughs> well, by to be time, fair, it'll be ten years, I'm sure, before the series is finished. So yeah, you got some time. By the time I get through the first one, it'll be onto the next series already. So. <laughs> James and Dan are big fantasy novel and just general fantasy game yeah. kind of people. Are you into that? Have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? Or never. I'm guessing Come and play World of Warcraft with Diablo yeah. with us. <laughs> No, I, I never really got into that, sorry. <laughs> That's how he has the time to make movies. Edging towards the door. <laughs> so he's not levelling up a 80 mage. So when, when do you get started on Last Voyage, then? What's what's the timetable? Uh, I don't know. There may be another one before that, um, mm. if it gets sorted in time. Um, I'd love to do them back-to-back, which would be nice. But uh, October time was what they were talking for Demeter, so cool. it's going to be tight. Yeah. I just want to get on with it. Make a monster movie. Cool. Well, stop talking to us. Go. (laughs) Get on with it. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Neil Marshall. Thank you.